Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Friday, June 24th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. There's no way to do today's podcast and not address the Dobbs case. The Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health decision came down today from the Supreme Court. I'm sure you know as you listen to this that the result of that is that it has overruled the two prior cases that basically drove the abortion parameters in this country, Roe v. Wade and the Casey case. I want to talk about it. I'm sure it's being talked about everywhere. But I want to talk about it without the emotion, at least <laughs> at least I'm going to start out talking about it without the emotion. I'll try to keep any of my own personal feelings about this somewhat at bay. I want to talk about it as an attorney and as a lover of history with particular pride in the founding of this country and the principles that it was intended to stand for. When the framers drafted both the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution of the United States, they did so having lived under an oppressive autocratic slash dictatorial King George of England. It had been a long history. England, of course, had gone through its feudal period, and the general population was pretty much in servitude to the elite. When the colonists came and began to settle on the east coast of the United States, they wanted to create for themselves a different kind of society. They wanted very much to create a society that was driven by the desire and the goals of the people, not the mandates and the dictatorial positions of an elitist elect few or singular individual. And so in both drafting, as I said, the Declaration of Independence, wherein they told King George exactly what they were having a problem with, exactly how they didn't want to live, precisely the freedoms that they were seeking to have and the oppression that they were seeking to have lifted, they did that deliberately. And they did it because they wanted to give him a chance to give them more leeway, to allow them to live and to develop the kinds of society that they wanted to create here in the new world. Of course, that was not okay with King George and you know the rest. It led to war with England and the War of Independence, and then it led to the drafting of the Constitution. There's a great deal of complexity around understanding the drafting of the Constitution, far more than I can or want to go through on this podcast, because it has to do with the Federalist Papers, and all of what the drafters of the Constitution brought to the table. Specifically, though, what they brought to the table was an incredible knowledge of history, all the way back to the Greeks and the Romans. They were an educated, highly informed, incredibly philosophical group of individuals, in particular those who convened in Philadelphia to draft the Constitution. 
The brilliance of the document, and this is why I want to look at what happened both in the New York gun case this week, the decision from the Supreme Court, as well as in the reversal of Roe. The reason I want to look at it from a legal perspective, beside the fact that I'm an attorney, is that there's a great deal of rage out there that isn't founded or grounded in an understanding of the brilliance of the Constitution or how we have survived and created a society, a nation that is a first in human history and that has created and allowed for advances in almost every area of life that have never before existed on the face of the earth, a level of prosperity that is unprecedented. So back to the Constitution. What the Constitution says, and I'm going to do this in a very simplistic way because I want to take away all of the mystique and I also want to take away all of the misinformation that's out there and the emotional drivers that are causing people to be outraged. The Constitution lists with specificity those powers that are granted to the federal government. And the founders were very deliberate about that in listing those powers. And then the Constitution says that all those enumerated powers that are not specifically granted to the federal government are reserved for the states. They did this for two reasons. One, they wanted to limit the power of a centralized government for the reasons that I just said at the outset. But two, they wanted to respect and allow for individual states to create individual environments so that people could live in states that supported their own beliefs, their own values, and their own actually governing laws. So for example, if the Quakers, and they did, founded Pennsylvania, And if you didn't want to live like a Quaker, then, you know, you went out, you discovered Montana or you went to Mississippi or you you created Mississippi. You went to another area of the country and with your community and those community values, you formed a cohesive group that was based around the principles and the values and the governing laws that you wanted to live by with your group of people. That is really the brilliance of the Constitution. It still had a cohesive effect on all of these states when it came to protecting them, when it came to interstate commerce. It still had a cohesive effect, but that was sort of an umbrella effect. And then under that umbrella, existing based on their own state law, were the individual states. I have to believe that when the founders said life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, life meant something to them no different than it would mean to them if they were alive today. And the reason is they understood birth. They understood the importance of progeny. They understood that the society could only be as good as its members and that the members had to be educated in the values and principles of the culture, of the society. And so life meant just that. It meant once you create life. Now, back then, admittedly, they had no scientific way to say when life began, but now we have more and more of such information. And that information is such that medically, and remember, when COVID was the rage, 
so to speak, we were told we had to follow the science, follow the science. Well, the science tells us that babies now at 21 weeks can be delivered and born and then live perfectly healthy lives. We know at, I think it's eight weeks, they feel pain and can recognize their mother's voice or a sibling's voice. So life begins extremely early. And the Constitution, in those enumerated powers to the federal government, make no reference to the power to regulate abortion. So what happened with Roe is that it went up to the Supreme Court, and in essence, the court overreached and made a ruling that became a nationwide, all 50 states, federally enforced law that abortion was a right. But it's not a right granted by the Constitution. And even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the icon, the liberal icon of the Supreme Court, said that Roe was improperly decided. It wasn't that she was anti-abortion. is that she felt Roe was the wrong case to try to make abortion a national issue. She felt that it was better done in the individual states and then for the Supreme Court to somehow, based on the right kind of case that came up before it, support state legislatures that would make law within their own states, drafted and passed by their own legislatures, that would allow abortion. So she was not a proponent of the decision in Roe. And all the court did today, all it does in the Dobbs case is say, the highest court in the land has no authority to rule on abortion. The federal government has no power granted it in the Constitution that allows it to do that. And when Roe did that, when the opinion in Roe did that, it violated the Constitution. Now, the opposite is true for the gun case out of New York. There is a right granted in the Constitution, it is the Second Amendment, to bear arms. And whether it's a musket or it's a Glock, because muskets were weapons of war back then, and actually ARs, I shouldn't have said a Glock, I should have said an AR, and ARs are today called weapons of war, but that in fact is what a musket was in 1776 and 1791. So there is a right granted individuals in the Constitution. And that right cannot be impinged or infringed or limited by, as the state of New York tried to do, by saying that, well, we have to determine if you are sound enough, if you have a good reason to carry that, to bear that arm. No, there's no such qualification. That is a right granted to every individual in the Second Amendment. So the court, again, ruled consistent with the Constitution. In both of these cases, the court is not ruling emotionally. It is not ruling based on public opinion. It is not ruling based on the whim of the moment the shifting winds of people's political opinions and their emotions. The court is doing what the court was designed to do. It is looking at the case in front of it. It is taking the facts and applying them 
to the Constitution, which is the framework of how the court is to make its decisions. What's happening out there with people like Maxine Waters, who today was publicly saying to hell with the Supreme Court, we'll go around them, we'll defy them, is a level of anarchy that is very dangerous. The U.S. Constitution is what has made this country unique. It has provided you with the freedoms you and I have. It is an experiment in human history. So far, so good. The danger comes in saying to hell with that document or let's use executive orders or federal agencies to end run, to do a Hail Mary around something that the Constitution doesn't permit us. Because once you rob the Constitution of its power and of its brilliance and of its guidance, you make the United States like any other country that ultimately will become either a socialist country or a communist country or a dictatorship or ultimately cease to exist. You will certainly begin to create a dystopian society because human nature is such that the founders understood. They had seen the worst of times. They understood what unchecked centralized power could do. And the brilliance of this document, again, is that it limits what that federal centralized power can do. It gives it enough power to protect the nation as a whole and to keep commerce flowing as a whole and to give individuals the right to speak their minds and live their lives so long as they are not infringing on someone else's fundamental right. And beyond that, it gives it no further power. It then lets the states decide how its inhabitants want to live. All of what you're hearing, the rage, it's because people want what they want when they want it. And when they don't get it, humans can be very short-sighted, they can be very reactionary, and they can be very destructive in their demand for what they feel entitled to. Because Roe has been the law of the land for whatever it is, 50 years, Brown versus Board of Education, before that case, this country, for longer than 50 years, was a segregated country. Education was segregated. There wasn't an argument that, well, we've been segregated, therefore we shouldn't undo it. No. Plessy versus Ferguson, separate was equal, separate but equal. Plessy was a bad decision. Brown corrected that. Roe is a bad decision. And Dobbs corrects it. Roe isn't the norm. Roe is the aberration. Roe violated the Constitution in the analysis to reach its conclusion, or rather the court did when it ruled as it did in Roe. We have lived through some very difficult times in the last two years thanks to COVID and lockdowns and all of the political wrangling that's going on in the public square. But I am encouraged today not because of any position I may hold on abortion, although before I go off this podcast, I'll share with you something personal about it. I am encouraged today because I believe that as long as we have a functioning Supreme Court that is doing the job it was created and designed to do, which is to uphold the indisputably most brilliant document that has ever been drafted by humans, that the United States still has a chance 
to survive, to continue to prosper, and to still be the beacon of light that it has been for the free world and for the not free world, for those oppressed in dictatorial and autocratic socialist and communist countries. So let me leave with a thought about communist countries. In China, life is not valued at all. And so when babies are born and China has a policy as it had for a very long time, the one child policy, and boys were more valued than girls, who gave birth to a girl when they wanted a boy and you could only have one child, gave those girls up and they they gave them up. It's the form of, let's call it Chinese abortion. Chinese abortion is you give birth to the baby and you leave it by the side of the road. Or you give birth to the baby and you drop it off in an open air market under a stall. Or you take the baby to something akin to an orphanage and you leave it on the step. And even if you leave it on the step of an orphanage, they have what they're called dying rooms in China, where when they have too many of those children in one facility, they put them in a room, they don't feed them, they don't give them water, and they let them starve to death. This is in essence the way China deals with abortion. It's their perverse version. Not that abortion isn't perverse to begin with, in my opinion, but for very limited circumstances. But I share this with you for the following reason. My daughter is from China. She was adopted by my ex-husband and I when she was two years old. And from day one of her life until age two, China was closed to foreign adoptions. During that time period, my ex-husband and I decided we wanted to adopt. And so we began the adoption process and it took about a year and a half beginning to end because we started out in Vietnam, but everything kept falling through. So we then shifted to China. My ex-husband flew to China and brought her back almost on her second birthday, within a month of her second birthday, or actually within a couple weeks of her second birthday, he brought her back. My daughter is today 29 years old. She is as much my child as if she had come out of my own body. There is no distinction. And if you have an adopted child, you know what I'm talking about. If China's abortion policy had worked, I wouldn't have my daughter. The only reason she's alive today is because she has such a strong will that for those two years when China was closed and she was in an orphanage, she managed to survive because she has an iron will. Had China not been closed, She might have been adopted as an infant, as a newborn. Because my ex-husband and I were at the time in our 40s, we could not adopt a child that had more than 40 years difference between our age and the child's age. And so we had to adopt a two-year-old. Talk about perfection. China was closed for the two years from when she was born until just about her birthday when it opened to foreign adoption. Had she died at the side of a road or on the doorsteps of an orphanage or under a table in an open-air market, it would have been no different than an abortion in the United States happening at 10 weeks or 15 weeks or at birth or as Nancy Pelosi would have had it even after birth. Every life has value. Everyone is born with a purpose. Everyone is here for a reason. No life is more or less valuable than any other. 
We are all gifted with the potential to do greatness. What we do with that potential is up to us. All that decision today in Dobbs said is that this has to go back to the states and every community within every state, meaning every state as a whole, will make its own decision. Those people, those women who still want abortion will be able to get them. Maybe in another state, maybe the Biden administration is going to figure out a way to try to maneuver so that they can still get it in the state they live in, such as on military bases. I know that's under consideration. If they do, I assume that case will also wind up before this Supreme Court, and my guess is it will be deemed to have been a violation as well of the Constitution on different grounds, but a violation nonetheless. Perhaps it will be using taxpayer dollars to commit what is fundamentally illegal in the state. But that's a story and a potential case for another time and in another place. For now, I leave you with this. I have a friend who had an abortion in her late 20s, and I was with her the night she had it. She was gray. Her color was gray. She was incredibly sick. She had gone and come home alone. I didn't know until after it happened. And decades later, never having married and never having had another opportunity to have a child, to this day, she regrets what she did. I have a child from China who survived probably horrendous circumstances that she had to endure for the first two years of her life. But all life is sacred, as I said, and all life has value. It's up to us what we do with it. And it's my personal opinion that abortion is a violation of God's law. But I'm a lawyer. And so today, my opinion is not about God's law. It's about the brilliance of the U.S. Constitution and the courage that these justices had to stand with it, to stand by it, and to not be intimidated by an emotional mob and politicians with a particular agenda. I'll be back here again on Monday, and until I am, you've been listening to Think for Yourself. I'm Carol Gold. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you feel as optimistic this weekend as I intend to. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.